So good to be together this morning, and, and what we've experienced together as a, as a body and those engaging online, we know that God's Spirit can, uh, can strengthen you, and I, I believe that has happened this morning, and that's a, a rich part of, uh, of being together. Just a brief announcement before uh, I begin the message. A few years ago, our pastor's council wisely and graciously adopted a sabbatical policy. And I was blessed to have a sabbatical several years ago, and I'm pleased to let you know, church family, that uh, beginning sometime in March, a start date to be finalized, just waiting on some things, uh, Pastor Joel will go on a nine-week sabbatical. In a role where there is, uh, and a sabbatical might be unfamiliar to some of you, in, 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 a, in a role where there is sustained uh, giving and uh, spiritual and emotional output as a pastoral role entails, a sabbatical serves the good purpose of allowing time for necessary uh, rejuvenation at every level of, of who we are as, as people, beyond what a regular vacation can do. There's a word that Harvey, one of our uh, council leaders, used when he was talking about my sabbatical some years ago. He used the word recalibra- time of recalibration, and that's a good word to describe uh, a big part of what a sabbatical can and should be. It's like, he used the example, uh, it's like getting the F1 car into the shop after a protracted time of output and uh, energy expenditure, getting it off the track for for a time of necessary attention and making needed adjustments and so on. That's a, it's a good analogy. Uh, there will also be time in this sabbatical for spiritual renewal for, for Pastor Joel and, and Carrie together uh, at Carith Creek, a focus on the family ministry that Miriam and I have been blessed to be a part of near Pritis, Alberta. Uh, Pastor Joel also has a strategic reading plan of uh, numerous books during this time. Uh, Additionally, there will be some element of equipping that will contribute to preparation for Joel coming back after those nine weeks to a new discipleship pastor role that will bring uh, a strategic focus on designing a church discipleship plan with clear pathways for creating uh, disciple-making disciples out of all of us as Christ followers. And so uh, I wanted you to know, be aware of that, to be praying that this sabbatical will be all that God wants it to be for uh, a pastor who for many years has given much. And many of you know uh, that from a personal standpoint in receiving, being being the recipients of his uh, loving and wise input into your life. Uh, and myself included in that, actually. So be, be praying for him and Carrie as they prepare for these, these important weeks. So today we begin a 16-week teaching series through the letter, the New Testament letter of Galatians. I want to encourage you to read this book numerous times during these weeks. And uh, each week, you can go online, eaglemont.church, and see upcoming messages. You can see the passage that we're dealing with each Sunday there with the title, and encourage you to read ahead, at the very least, the passage that we're going to be looking at each Sunday. And so next, uh, next week, actually for two weeks, it's the only time we're doing this on one passage, but for two weeks, next week and the following Sunday, not a difficult homework ex- assignment, uh, four verses, Galatians 1, 6 to 9. Be sure you read that. We'll be diving into a study of a current-day application of what Paul says uh, in that passage regarding uh, following a different gospel. And we're going to look at something called 
uh, progressive Christianity for uh, those two weeks. For those engaging online, uh, the, the points and the scriptures that you'll see on the screen are in the notes tab also for you to access there. Today's message, freedom's source, the gospel. God, open our hearts to your word now and open your word to our hearts in the way you want it to happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Freedom. There's something attractive. There's something, there's, a, there's, there's an attractive feel about that word. And some of you may have had grandparents who came from somewhere, possibly in a, you know, Eastern Europe many years ago, where under communism, freedom was only in their dreams. Yet people who enjoy freedom can sometimes come to realize that those freedoms can be taken away pretty quickly as well. And yet someone who knows Jesus personally and has surrendered their life to Him and has been set free by His gift of grace, that person could be incarcerated in, 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 uh, in jail, in, in chains, behind bars, and still be the most free person on the planet because they know the power of God's Spirit and the freedom He brings as He resides in our life by our invitation. Well, this letter of Galatians invites us to live free in Christ, free from the bondage and torment of sin, free from a legalistic and burdensome way of living, as we'll see uh, attached to Paul's reference there uh, regarding the law. Uh, in, in Galatians, Paul repeatedly emphasizes that it's the gospel of Jesus. And that word just simply means good news, by the way. It's the gospel of Jesus that is the source of the only true and lasting freedom that there is. This New Testament letter was sent to all the churches and Christ followers, and church is just a body of believers. It's not an organization, denomination, or institution as we use the word sometimes today. It's people. We, most of us know that, but worth mentioning. And Paul had sent this letter to all of the, re the, the Christ followers in, in an area called Asia Minor, specifically the region of Galatia in Asia Minor, which is today is a modern-day Turkey. And he wrote it to address the, 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 the basic question, what makes a person free? Or what makes them a genuine Christ follower? Is it, is it really grace alone, or come on, there's, there's got to be some degree uh, of, of religious performance required in there somewhere so I can, you know, feel that I had a part, so that I can feel I earned it. That's often our thinking, isn't it? Part of securing our place in God's eternal heaven, as if we could do enough to earn that. Performance. Performance. We're, we're constantly evaluated on our performance in school, or maybe in sports, or, or, or in our job, and, and that's not wrong. But at times, we can too easily carry this, this mindset of performance over to trying to earn God's approval or acceptance. We're going to read our passage from Galatians in a moment, but there's a little bit of background that's important first. In this letter, Paul was rightly opposing false teachers, and this is something he did quite regularly, and is actually uh, an important part of the role of a loving shepherd, to be honest. Not an easy thing to do all the time, but 
Paul modeled that for, for those of us who are pastors in protecting the flock in this way. Well, in this case, these false teachers were called Judaizers. Judaizers. And, and they were Jewish people who had come to believe that Jesus Christ was, in fact, their long-awaited Messiah. They were people who believed even that Jesus died on the cross for their sin. However, they essentially, after Paul had established the churches and the Christ followers with the true gospel, they had kind of uh, swooped in and, and they wanted to correct things a little bit. <laughs> well, they, they, they essentially said that salvation by faith alone was not enough. Uh, let's just stop there for a moment. Think, think about that. Isn't, isn't that, no matter in what form that comes, isn't that a slap in the face to Jesus? Isn't that a slap in the face to the sacrifice he made for us? That he said was enough to bring us into his eternal family. Ah, food for thought. And Paul basically said so in Galatians 2, a little later, Galatians 2, 21. If keeping the law could make us right with God, there was no need for Christ to die, said succinctly. The conversations that these Judaizers, false teachers, had with non-Jews who were wanting to commit their lives to Christ um, it could have gone something like this. We're, we're, we're glad. We're glad that you've come to know Jesus as your Savior and Messiah. But there are, there are a few more things that you need to know, like the importance of our, our, our Jewish laws, our, our Jewish observances, our holidays, uh, uh, some of our rituals, like circumcision. Oops, I made a mess of that. Uh, circumcision. Great evangelism strategy, hey? Wow. Anyway, and, and, and they, they, they might have said to these, these non-Jews who wanted to follow Christ, um, Paul, Paul probably talked to you about all this. He didn't? Oh, he, he must have forgot because this is important stuff. And then on they went to add their legalistic rules to Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Were, were they thinking that they, 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 could, they could somehow make, make grace work better with, with adding their rules and rituals? Again, it's the idea that we need to somehow, this can come in any number of ways, that we, that we need to somehow help grace work. What, what does that possibly look like in your life? And Paul addresses that similar idea in this letter. He, he refuted the teaching of the Judaizers that some of the Jewish rituals had to be adopted by non-Jews first before they could become Christians. And Paul categorically said, that's wrong teaching. So as we walk through Galatians in these weeks, please keep a couple of verses in mind, kind of overarching verses. A little later, uh, chapter, chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, and again, this is an overarching theme, this verse in this letter. So Christ, he writes, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law, the New Living Translation puts it. Paul fought to keep people from being enslaved to the law rather than walking in freedom in Christ. And this is a guy who was a Jew of Jews, educated under one of the, 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 the most prominent, uh, Gamaliel, one of the most prominent Jewish teachers, and, and, and yet he realized Christ's coming fulfilled the law. And then in verse 2 of chapter 5, Paul gives a specific example that these False teachers were pushing, namely the practice of, as I said already, circumcision. He said, if you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, and I suppose we, 
insert any Jewish ritual there at, at that time. Uh, but he said, if you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Because you're trusting in something else. Whatever that something else is could also apply. Now, if you don't have an awareness of the book of Genesis or of the beginning of the Jewish nation uh, as it rolled out in, in Genesis, you're probably going, what is he talking about? <laughs> you know, how does this fit in? Well, let me explain very briefly. In the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis again, God promised a man named Abraham that God in his own sovereignty, and sovereignty just means God's in charge, <laughs> and for whatever reason God chose, and there are some reasons, but he chose Abraham to be the father of this new people, the Israelites. And, and he, as the father of the, Jew, well, as the Jewish nation, as a, as, a, as a group, it would be through this people that the whole world would be blessed because it was through this people that Jesus Christ, the Messiah and the Savior that we all needed and need, would come. Circumcision was... At that time, the specific sign of this covenant promise between God and Abraham and this future nation. You can read about that in Genesis 17. And all the males in uh, Abraham's line were to carry this lifelong mark and, and reminder that they were a part of God's physical blessing to the world. Why circumcision? Fair question. Why, you know, why didn't God choose something a little less strange. I don't know. Uh, truth is, we don't know. God doesn't specifically explain it, and yet we do know that circumcision represented a radically committed faith. It was a physical sign for the Jew of being set apart for God's purpose. And as a nation, they were. But Paul, at this point in New Testament history, after Jesus had gone to the cross and been raised from the dead, Paul wants to clarify, and he does so, again, still in chapter 5, verse 6, key verses for the overarching theme. When we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. It's a good statement. Same author, different letter. Romans 2, 29, Paul writes, True circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity of God. In other words, physical circumcision does not make someone a child of God. Faith does. And that's where the heart is marked. God always has always wanted more from his people than just external conformity to rules and rituals. He's, he's always just, just wanted us to, to possess a heart to love and follow him. Even before Christ came, we look way back in Jeremiah 4. This is, this is typified in the Old Testament. Uh, circumcision, or the, the Bible says there, Jeremiah 4, 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Set yourself apart to God, basically. Circumcise your hearts. Commit your hearts. In other words, set your hearts apart to honor and follow God, your Heavenly Father. Now, applying the term, the Old Testament term, circumcision to our hearts, again, simply means that when the Holy Spirit comes to reside in us at our invitation and by our trust in Jesus Christ, 
It means, again, that we, we now possess a heart that is marked as being, as being sold out to God, totally committed to God, a heart where the Holy Spirit lives and leads our lives from. And, and that's truly the only way to live the Christian life, according to the New Testament. Paul knew it was unnecessary to require non-Jews who wanted to become Christ followers to first be physically circumcised. I, again, just... Uh, uh, wonder how that actually worked. Hey, come to Jesus. Ah, but first, we have to what? <laughs> you know, really, like think about that. No, not too much, but uh, my mind goes there a little bit. It's just, just wild. But, and this is what Paul is dealing with. He's bringing it back to the core of the gospel. Jesus, who he is, what he did on the cross, that he rose from the dead. We don't need any more than trust in him and his work on the cross. And again, Jesus is the one in the law, uh, uh, that spoke these words regarding the law and how he came and he fulfilled it, Matthew 5.17 says. Through him, we can be right with God without the burden of performance to the Old Testament law. As Paul, same writer, different letter, Ephesians, actually the very next letter in the New Testament after this one, Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace, and we'll talk about that word a little later, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, because it's a gift so that no one can boast. The Bible says there, Paul writes, under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Great, great passage, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I encourage you to memorize that in your heart, especially if this is something, the performance piece, uh, thinking that you're, you know, you're, you're kind of secure, securing your, way, your, your, your uh, place in heaven because of what you do. Re yeah, memorize Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So with that as a backdrop, let's read today's passage. And proportionally, I'm not going to take as much time as it just some of you are going, we're just getting into it now. I know, I was there. I've been, I remember as a kid, as an adult. <laughs> Galatians 1, 1 to 5. Paul, he identifies the, who, who's, this, who's this letter from? Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's some authority, right? He wants to establish that given the circumstances especially. And all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, Paul planted numerous churches in Galatia on his first missionary journey uh, in A.D. 47. And... Many Bible scholars point out the, the tone of the, of the start of this particular letter that, that seems to be missing some of his normal uh, intro pleasantries, actually. And, and some theologians believe it's because he was a little ticked off at what was going on. You know, after, after planting these churches and investing in these people as new Christ followers, he, he, he then leaves the region, and then shortly after, probably within uh, two years at the very most, he receives a report that these believers in these churches in this area had been influenced toward theological error already and had drifted away from, from, from the grace-filled and Jesus-centric gospel that he had taught them. And, and that they had experienced genuinely. He was disturbed by this. And some feel it shows in, in his just, he gets to it, you know. 
Well, Paul's missionary journey to, uh, to Galatia is recorded in the history record of the book of Acts. So we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, the good news narratives of Jesus' life. And then the very next book, the book of Acts, is a historical record written by Luke, one of the disciples, who is a physician and a historian, uh, as uh, some of you have heard the phrase, a, a historian of top rank, is a designation that came from uh, an archaeologist many years ago who was not a Christian but studied Luke's writings to actually disprove them and he found and that's where he landed. So we've got some reliable history in Acts. Acts 13 and 14, those chapters are the history record of what happened in Galatia. And so thus this letter of Galatians. So you tie the two together. Acts 13, 14 to 16. Paul and Barnabas traveled inland, it says. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for services. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the services, they said to Paul and his companion there, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. And so Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them. I'm glad I don't have to do that when I get up here. Quiet. You know, I, I can see having to say that to Mariah, my daughter, sometimes, but the rest of you, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to. Uh, but, but Paul, he raised his hand, I, I got something to say, and, and he did. He started speaking, men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, men of Israel, Jews, and Gentiles, listen to me. And Paul then goes on to share about the history of Israel and explains how the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, was born out of the Jewish nation, but given for all people great passage. And then he explains that the crucifixion of Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, and it was to, to many specific details. It's a, it's a mind-boggling thing as you study that. And, and that Jesus, he says, and that Jesus rose from the dead by God's power. So now there's forgiveness for our sins through him. And, and then Paul's slam-dunk statement in verse 39 of Acts 13, everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could not, could never do. Huh. Wow. It's great. R rules, ah, they have their place. But rules don't cut it because rules don't change the heart. And it's this gospel that creates this, this new multi-ethnic family that God ultimately wanted. And so this historical narrative from Acts, again, is important background for understanding Galatians. They're, 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 they're declaring with excitement the powerful message of how everyone can live free. It's the good news message that Jesus died for us. And so freedom in life and eternity is possible in Jesus and only in Jesus. A few specific things in this opening paragraph of Paul's letter. First, he references his source of authority. I've alluded to that already. In verse 1, um, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And an apostle was uh, a title for someone who had received their marching orders, their, their mission, uh, directly from Jesus himself. And, and uh, Paul did just read Acts 9 about that supernatural uh, in, interaction uh, where Jesus showed up. And, and uh, Acts chapter 9, you can read that. Paul has to address these false teachers. And so he reminds his readers of the source of his spiritual authority that came not from any person, but came directly from, as he said, Jesus Christ 
and God the Father. Oh, by the way, who raised him from the dead? Again, just kind of given that, that, that punch of, of authority that's there. That's some, that's some solid backing, I would say. And it's almost, you know, like he's saying, and don't you forget it. And then in verse 3, Galatians 1, Paul shares two genuine desires he has for the Galatians. The people he loved, but the people he saw, some of them anyway, getting off track. Verse 3, grace to you and peace. What great gifts. What great gifts. He wants grace from God for them, so what is grace? Grace is a word we hear a lot at church. Is it what we do before we eat? We call it that. Is it a nice lady, Grace? Oh, maybe you know a lady whose name is Grace and she's not so nice, kind of. That's that's just a disconnect. But anyway, what is grace? You know, many of you. Grace is what removes God's wrath for sin that we deserve. Ooh, it's quite a word. It's a biblical word, though. But grace in Jesus removes removes it from us being the recipients as we trust in Christ. God's grace is what makes us confident in knowing we are His because of that transaction. Our faith, the the judgment for sin is taken away. His, His grace is what brings His forgiveness for that sin. And, and we did nothing except express our desire to surrender to God. We did nothing to deserve it, to earn it. And if we did, wouldn't be, wouldn't be grace anymore. It would be, we'd have to call it deserved. But grace isn't deserved. And yet it can be ours fully. Now, in all of this, don't forget that we are, as a church, as Christ followers, we, need, we, are, we are for obedience to the Scriptures and the will of God and following His, His plan for every part of our lives, even though much, some at least, maybe much, goes against our, our culture. But we've got to be okay with that if we want to follow God's best plan. We, we, we are for, yes, we're talking a lot about grace, but, and, and, but we want to make it clear, we are for showing God's love to others by, by good and caring deeds that we do. Great, grace, grace is not an excuse for laziness in the Christian life, in reflecting God's love. We, we're, we're, we're for living out the character of Jesus in this world. Yes, yes, yes. But the minute we think that God will love us more, when we're living right and doing good deeds, the good is outweighing the bad if we're keeping track. That's an indication that we've not really understood God's grace. It's not about getting our place in heaven secured by what we do. Even though what we do, read the book of James, matters after we've expressed faith in Christ to bring us into his family and assure us a place in heaven. And of course, from there, because we've been recipients of such amazing grace, we, we, we want to live well, and represent Christ and His love and compassion in this world and, and, and do that well by His strength and enablement, right? But it's not those things that bring us an assurance that we're in heaven. No, that comes by what Jesus did on the cross and His resurrection to prove His power over death and sin, right? Grace. Then Paul wanted 
peace for them. Peace with God, peace in God. And, and, and there's a message about that December 5th that we spoke in our uh, Christmas series about peace. And if you missed it, you can go online, church, uh, Eaglemont Church, Eaglemont.church, and, and, uh, and listen to that. Remember that grace and peace, they're free, but they're not cheap. They, they, they cost to deliver grace and peace into our lives and the peace of an eternal relationship with our Creator, the peace that comes with that. They cost, they cost God a lot, those gifts did. They cost the father, the, the grief of sacrificing his son, they cost the son the, 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 the challenge. So much so that he sweat drops of blood and there's a, there's a physiological element to that actually before he went to the cross, but he was willing to do it. They, they, the, those gifts come to us freely, but they're not cheap. And so that just makes us say, thank you. Thank you, God. And so Galatians is a resounding call for vital relationship rather than the burden of ritualistic religion. And some of, some of you know that well and the pressure of that. The futility, actually, of that. Galatians is a call to rejoice in full dependence on Jesus and what he did for us. Not only trusting in the gospel and Jesus to get across that line of being from darkness to light, uh, from separation uh, for eternity from our loving Creator to, to in His family forever. That's a, that's, a, that's a significant line of demarcation. Oh, and if you stepped across that line by simply trusting in Christ, that's so awesome. But it's also the power of the gospel to live the Christ life because I can't do that on my own. You've experienced the freedom of Jesus in your own life this way because, because you've surrendered to Jesus, repented of your sin, and, and recognized following Jesus is the best thing to do now and in, for eternity. If you've done that, walk in that freedom every day. Walk in that freedom. Paul would say, walk in that freedom. Be thankful for that freedom. But I have to ask those of you here in person or those of you online right now, I have to ask if you've, if you've not experienced. And I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come right now. We're going to sing a song in just a moment, but don't be distracted by them finding their place. Just please, please listen. Are you, are you truly free? Are you truly free in the way that Paul describes is possible to the Galatian believers and to us. Are you truly free? You, you may have attended church faithfully for years. That's, that's, not the, that's not the question. The question is, are you truly free? Because you've surrendered to Jesus Christ, given Him your sin, said thank you for taking the judgment of sin that is right and understandable and just, by a holy God. But there was a substitute. Thank you, Jesus. I surrender my life to you. If you do that for me, that's, un that's amazing. 
I give you my life in return. I want to live free. And maybe this is your moment. And for the first time, or maybe it's a recommitment of your life to Christ and you know you've spiritually wandered. Are you living free? Are you free? You can be. You can be in this moment by expressing your trust in who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. And grace and peace. It doesn't mean the world's going to just all of a sudden be calm, sailing for you. No, but peace in God in the midst of a storm. And peace relationally with God, your creator, that is for eternity. That's, that's so important. That's so important. So maybe this is your moment to say, God, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. And you can do that as we sing this song. And then I'm going to come back and, and just close in prayer. I encourage you. Look God's way and say, Jesus, would I ask you to be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life from this day forward. I want to follow you. Talk to him about that. And those in this gathering here, if you would stand as we sing this song.